I'm starting to think of this podcast as a summer session with your goaltending coach or a midweek workout with your regular team. We're learning, we're adapting, we're improving. It's In Goal Radio. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Darren Millard, along with co-founders Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Today, we're going to chat with the Calgary Flames goaltending coach, Jordan Sigalette. This is episode five, and we will go over what goalie coaches do, what's their game day routine, and video is not just for goaltenders. And something I'm really looking forward to is why a goalie coach would hit his starting goaltender in the head at the end of the morning skate. We've got the inside look in a sit-down interview with Kevin Woodley and Jordan Singlet. Here is David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, the co-founders of InGoal Magazine. Hello and uh, welcome to episode five. We've reached a, a new milestone in this podcast. What do you guys think? And what milestone is that? Episode five. Episode. You know how many podcasts start and never reach like the third episode? This is really significant. The milestones next week I, I when think, we're going to need two hands to count them on. Yeah. Okay. But I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. This. This is a really big thing. I don't think that you guys are embracing. What a, what a significant step that we've taken in this in this podcast. That's a big step. I thought the big step was going to be influencing the attire of backup goaltenders all over the world. Like to me, that was like Darren Millard's suggestion has been embraced in professional hockey, and we're going to start an actual movement. Okay, so are you guys okay if I take a moment and just just expand on something, and maybe maybe give myself a bit of a pat in the back? So. Just sit sit back and enjoy this because a couple of weeks ago, Mike McKenna, the Belleville, Ottawa Senator, Vancouver Canuck, Philadelphia Flyer, and now a member of the Phantoms, was with us. And we talked about his wild season so far and his background as a goaltender, an American coming out of the St. Louis uh, minor hockey organization. And and he was an, an incredible source of, of just an inspirational speech about keeping it real. And at the end of the interview, I just tossed something out because he, he, he's an old school guy. He can, he can go almost to any direction. I said, you know what, whatever happened to the backup goaltender towel? And I threw that out to him. And this, this is Mike's reaction. We got to bring back the towel for the backup goalies, Mike. I know how to do that too. I'm old enough. I can remember that one. You, you wrap it around the back. <laughs> yeah. You tuck it in on the front under the front part of your jersey. And yeah. you know what? Next game, guys, you keep an eye on that bench. I would <laughs> love to see that. That's awesome. I had uh, the, other, so the other day in warm-ups, I had a friend there, like my econ, the goalie guy. I, I'm actually really fortunate in Philly, right? So I can go see him whenever I want. It's made my stay there kind of normal feeling because I have a friend there. Um, but I also had another old goalie named Nick Petraglia who works for Miami, Ohio, yeah. was there. And Trags was just giving it to me. And like Trags knows everybody too, right? We all trained together back in the day. Trags is like, man, you got to do, you got to throw a skate save and like, you got to just warm up a skate save out there. And so I'm warming up the skate save at the red line. And then Wayne Simmons crosses the middle at one point during warmups. And I'm like, my eyes just got huge. And I'm going, this is it. It's right. It's perfect. I can do it at full on skate save. And like, I, Walk out of the building to the guest passes afterwards, and Petraglia has just got a massive grin on his face because I told him to be there in warm-ups. Like, yeah. Did Simmons say anything, or did anybody hoot and holler, or like, what the hell is that? Oh, they, I mean, they were giggling, you know, and yeah. it's it's got to be the right scenario, right? Like, he wasn't coming in and ripping a shot. He was just kind of walking across the front of the net. Yeah. But if you, if you line 10 pucks up at the blue line and tell the guy to keep it on the ice, I can kick him to the corner like it's, I mean, like no tomorrow. Like I used to do two days of, of skate saves at goalie camp until I was 13 years old, you know, and I yeah. haven't made one in a game in 25, 20 years, 25 years or whatever, but it's just so ingrained in your muscle memory. You, you don't forget how to do it. The guy running goalie camps in St. Louis was a guy named Lindsey Middlebrook, who was, if you look him up, they called him the China wall. He played, I don't know, 20 games in the NHL in the early eighties. And that's what you did. You stood up, you made skate saves. Yeah. And, Watching Bernie Perron do those and and being able to make that and time it and it with the game on the line just is still one of the most fascinating things about sports. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was – nowadays it would be a massively inefficient state. Yeah, they just totally. shoot the puck way too hard. They just shoot way too hard. Um, yeah. But back then, yeah, it was all – and it was all read and react, right? When you were standing vertical, you could do that. And yeah. 
I mean, I, when they line pucks up and shoot them at me, they still guys start laughing when I make toe up kick saves. And it's, it's just what we grew up doing, you know, and I can still do it. And that's just how I play the game, right? Like you've got to be alive, especially it's kind of played back into my favor with how quick the game's gotten in the last couple of years. Let, let me just caution everybody, though. M- Mike knows what he's doing because he was taught the skate save as, as a young goaltender. We, we don't uh, really encourage any kids today to try and go make a, a skate save. You'll probably wreck your ankle or you'll break your foot, one of the two, uh, t- tear a ligament in your ankle trying to make a skate save. It's an art, and, uh, and that, that, that's cool. I love how Mike just took that and ran with it. It gives you an idea of what's, what's going on below the surface here. But uh, Woodley, th- this whole backup goalie towel, I mean, it created a bit of a, a movement. It, one, that, that Mike did it and had the orange towel, but we had some great responses from, from all over the goaltending union. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then I don't know if you the next night, uh, somebody tossed Andre Vasilevsky. He was backing up Louis Domingue uh, in Tampa Bay. Somebody tossed him a towel and they caught it on the bench and he kind of awkwardly threw it back at whoever was tossing it to him. But I smelt backup goalie towel there. I, I, I thought, you know, if he'd had a session with Mike, if he'd seen what Mike did and learned how to apply this art, this technique, this new goal, new is old again, whatever goaltending technique, he would have rolled that baby up and had it over his neck for the rest of the game. So we're not there yet, but the movement has started. We've infiltrated pro hockey. Next step is the National Hockey League. And the irony is Mike's in Lehigh Valley on a conditioning stint. I can tell you right now, the plan was before that conditioning stint, before Stolers got healthy enough to play, Mike was going to break this baby out with the Flyers in the NHL. So um it started darren and then for for sure get the back padding machine out little self-tapping on the back there well done yeah hey and if if folks haven't seen it um and you're just listening to this podcast for the first time go check out the in goal social because we've uh we've got that clip and we've got a photo of mike in wearing the backup towel just the other night okay where do they find the in goal social uh in goal media on twitter would be the first place Uh, in goal mag on uh instagram it's the old television trick. You got to let them know. You got to you got to lead the horse to water. Okay, like you and said, then, we're learning, Coach. We're learning. We're 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 doing it. Uh, yeah, in in goal, backup goalie towels would be awesome. I'm just wondering, truthfully, the two of you, and we'll start with uh, with you, Hutch. How many players do you think really noticed that Mike was wearing the towel, or is it just a few guys probably thought he looked a little strange, but I'll bet you nobody noticed what was going on. <laughs> no. I'm not sure many uh, goaltenders in the union would notice unless you're 40 plus. Uh, actually, Mike texted me after that night, guys, and uh, there was a fair bit of odd looks, he said, from guys who were way too young to even know what it was. But it also generated a little bit of buzz within the team and a lot of like a lot of guys were laughing and chuckling and having a really good time with it, whether it had to be explained to them or whether they recognized it right away. I think, you know, you get into the trainers usually yep. older guys, right? They probably knew exactly what it was. And, you know, uh, speaking of in goal social media and having fun, I smell a segue. I smell <laughs> a segue because if you check out in goal mags, social media feed this week, um, we had a clip of, my, of Mike Smith and it was, I think we, what did we label it? Mike Smith, Chuck and sauce. And it was, I mean, Smitty handles the puck as well as anyone in the league. Um, and so he was basically, trying to shoot at an empty net and getting a nice high arc on it. And it was at the end of a long practice and it was, it was just him having fun and he's trying to hit the empty net and man, he almost hits the scoreboard. So I, I, I took a little video and threw it up on, on Instagram and some people have decided that this would be a really great jumping off point to point to, to show how bad a season he's had and that, he doesn't understand puck handling, that puck handling is moving the puck, he's a turnover machine, and that shooting in an empty net isn't puck handling. Well, unfortunately, the person that decided to call this out, a former NHL goalie coach who doesn't have the comments open on his own social media channel, so you can't reply to correct him, had no way of knowing, and maybe that's on us, of explaining that Mike was out there for 45 minutes after everyone else was off the ice with a couple of healthy scratches, helping them go through their bag skate and providing a target at the end of the drills they were being forced to skate through. He also was out there before and after practice working with Jordan Sigalette, who we happen to have on this 
this broadcast, working on some RVH integration, uh, some post play, some transitions off the, like he was doing the work. And that this was basically him having, hey, what do you know? Fun in the NHL, something we've heard from guys yeah. as high up as Marc Andre Fleury, in between the reps while the bag skate guys were down on one knee catching their breath. So, listen. This was pure, pure screw around time. Absolutely. And we happened to, that's about the time, you know, I was surprised to, I don't often get to capture this because I'm in the room. I'd already had a 10, 12 minute conversation with Dave Riddich, um, already been in on the coaches' press conference or scrum. Uh, to get my morning skate stuff done. I popped my head back out and was surprised to see 37-year-old Mike Smith still out there working with these guys and not off early. So um, I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to serve that role, a little bit of fun helps. And let's not lose sight of that, guys. How uh, how close did he come to hitting the scoreboard? Oh, so close. <laughs> so And honestly, like his ability to the power he gets behind that when he drops the knee and rifles it and the accuracy. Unfortunately, I caught like the last two reps that didn't hit, hit the net and he hit it as often as, as he missed. Um, it's something to behold. And you know, it, it was really interesting because then I filmed his warm up as well. And that's where he's making a lot of short, quick passes. He's working on handling the puck much like you'd see a Patrick Kane in terms of back and forth. Um, uh, and, and the other thing too is, and I'm going to have to get the numbers from Siggy. Uh, I'll put them on social media. Uh, so others can comment, but the uh, the comment in this hey, post, don't 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 hurt yourself with that axe that you're swinging around. I, hey, listen, this was this is <laughs> this this is a this was a guy who this is a guy taking shots not only I would say at the goalie but at the goalie coach um, yeah. without any clue of the work that had gone in that day. So yeah, I, I've got a bit of an axe to grind here. I'm not especially happy. This is also a guy with a <laughs> reputation of taking pot shots in the comment sections. <laughs> all over the place on goalie media that has his comments off. So we're going to tell a little truth. And, uh, you know, listen, I've seen the numbers on the positive impact on possession that Mike Smith has every time he goes out and touches it. So the claims in that post about turnovers, you know, and leading the league in turnovers, guess who else leads the league in turnovers? Eric Carlson among defensemen, guys who yeah, have you, the puck, guys who make know. plays. And the Flames know how to measure this, and their measurements are all positive impact on possession. And that's what matters in today's game. Might not have mattered 10 years ago, the last time this guy was in the league, but it matters now. Hold on. When you have the puck and you have as many touches as, as Smith does, you, you turnovers are going to be elevated. It's percentage of turnovers, and, and that's the kind of thing that really will, will give you an indication. But it's like Cujo and uh, Roberto Longo. You play long enough, you're going to have a lot of losses. Hey, Hutch, guys are pulling the goalie more and more often and earlier why aren't we seeing more guys go for the empty net or, or more empty net goals i keep waiting I think, for it i think we're all shocked by that aren't we you'd, you'd think there'd be so many more opportunities for for guys to be shooting at the other net um i i wonder if it's the fact that teams have more in in their strategy book they're they're icing the puck a whole lot more and the individual players are taking shots at the net a lot more Used to be you had to carry it out and try and get it over center to, to prevent the icing. And now guys aren't so scared of taking an icing call. I wonder if that might be part of it, but but that's just a guess. Oh, it's coming, boys. It's coming. I talked to goalies about this for a story for a weekly column. And like my favorite was Alex Stalock. These guys see the early pulls with, with teams pulling goalies when they're down by two, pulling with three, four minutes. And the eyes, like they are wide um, there is a little bit of hesitation down by two is, you know, goalies aren't going to go for it unless they've got a two goal lead. They don't want to turn the puck over and, and create the tying goal. But as one guy said to me, Hey, a two goal lead with five minutes left. If you cause a goal, then you've given them a spark for the rest of the game. And it might be just as bad as the tying goal. So that's part of it. Uh, but I mean, Alex Stalock actually said, I'm thinking of having an empty net goal stick made up so that when they pull, oh I know gosh. when they pull the guy, I'm going to go grab a stick with a little bit of a toe curve so I can raise it over that first wave of four checkers and get it down the <laughs> ice. So let me tell you this early pull habit around the NHL, the goalies have noticed and there's an empty netter coming. I think all of us, including the NHL guys are surprised it hasn't happened already. I'm with you on the empty net goal stick. Why wouldn't you have one? That, that's a great angle. If, hey, if, o, if, o, that. Yeah, if Ovi can have his power play stick, Alex Daylock figures he can have his empty net goal stick. Darn right. Uh, when you were at the uh, the practice watching Mike Smith uh, do his thing, you were there for a reason, not just to grab the interview and then get yourself into uh, 
into a little back and forth on on, on social. You were there to chat with uh, with David, Big Save Dave, and uh, and then do a feature interview with the goaltending coach of the Calgary Flames. Here's Kevin Woodley at Flames Morning Skate. All right, little sit down with Calgary Flames goaltender coach Jordan Sigalette on a game day here in Vancouver. Um, what's that like for you, actually? Let's start with that. Like, what is a day in the life of a goalie coach? I mean, we're here almost three hours before your team skates. Walk us through what your day's like. Yeah, it's always it's always a little different on the road than it is at home. Um, on the road, we get here around 8 a.m. At home, you're at the rink around 6 a.m. every day. So uh, a lot of prep work to do, a lot of stuff to get ready for your goalies to see, uh, show them what they're going to expect in the game from – you know, power play tendencies, shooter tendencies, uh, shootouts. Um, every goalie's different what they want to see, but there's a lot of prep that goes into it, uh, uh, especially when you're seeing, you know, the same team four times a year and you haven't played them in a little bit. So what things change from the last time you played them and, you know, just getting them uh, confident and ready to play the game. How much video, I mean, like you said, I know it depends on, on each guy, but how much time would you spend on video, say, on an off day versus a game day with these guys? How much of it is them? How much of it is opponent? Uh, a lot of it's opponent, obviously, uh, preparing for both uh, the opposition goalies, uh, breaking down their strengths and weaknesses and presenting that to the players before the game, uh, running a video loop before the game so they can watch it as they're getting dressed. Uh, some guys pay attention to it more than others, and a lot of guys are really interested in the shootout portion of it, of course. So um, then the rest of it's, you know, getting your goalie ready, what they're going to see, and, uh, and then post-game, you know, breaking down their game, what they did well, where they need to improve, and then working on those areas of their game, you know, throughout the practice week. So, like, is that like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour? Like, how much time do you spend going over video with the guy, or does it all depend on, on which guy and what his preference is? Yeah, it depends on which guy, and, you know, some guys like to watch it on their own and then watch it with you, or other guys just want to, you know, watch it right after the game just to put it behind them and put it to bed. So, every guy's different. Uh, a lot of time goes into the opposition goalie. I'd, I'd say that takes almost three hours to do by the time you – you know, watch all their goals and saves and, um, you know, go back and filter through it and, you know, pick out the, the main points. So uh, it's a lot of work that goes into it, but I take pride in it, and I think it's uh, something that helps our team. Now, you talked about goalies, different goalies wanting different things from you in terms of video. Is that the same with players? I've talked to players over the year, and some guys want to know everything on, a, on, on shootouts, power, like tendencies, and oh, some guys, sure. I think it goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> yeah, totally. Some guys don't want to overthink it, and... Uh, you know, for certain guys, if they have a certain move and I think it's going to work against a goalie, I'll go up to him and ask him if he wants to see it, and usually they're receptive to it. Um, otherwise, it's always playing for them to see. Um, I've had goalies that want to see opposition shootouts against them. Um, some guys don't want to see it at all just because, again, you're overthinking. If a guy has a certain move and you're expecting it, comes down, does something else, and then <laughs> he's pointing the finger at you, you know, he doesn't want to see it. So they'd rather go in there with a fresh mind. Uh, it's that, that's a fine balance between anticipation and just in the moment. Eh? I guess there are some goalies that don't want to be thinking, look for this move, look for this move, and then it goes another way. That might be the worst. Oh, yeah, totally. And you know, it, it happens. And, um, yeah, you don't want them overthinking. The guys see enough highlights throughout the year that they, they know guys' tendencies and shootouts anyways. So you don't, you don't want to put another thought in their head. What about game day skate? What, um, how much of it is getting your guy ready, then watching the other guy later, going out early? How much of that changes? And, What's what's the best way to get a goal? I know it's all depends on the guy, but what's the best way to get a goalie ready to play? Like what what's the ideal warm up? For me, it's just consistency in a routine. Um, every guy has their own routine, and if they have it, you know they're comfortable and it creates some consistency for them on a daily basis, which creates confidence. And I know I'm sure everyone's read about David Riddick about taking his two shots to the head every pregame skate, and that's something we've had to do every every day. Um, if we don't skate on a game day, if it's an early game, I have to give them to him the day before. So you always got to remember to get him the two shots in the head. And for me, it's just, you know, feeling the puck, tracking the puck, but, you know, sticking to their routine so they, they have something they're confident with and consistent with. Do most of them come in with that re routine pre-built, or do you look to alter it if you see things, you know, over time that might not be consistent in their routine? Do you try and get them to that? point where it's the same every day yeah for sure I think it's important um, even with the video prep I think just having that consistent schedule just so they have that routine routine's huge you know how superstitious goalies are so uh, getting them what they want on a consistent basis makes a big difference for most of them is there static shooting involved where they're just sort of stationary and taking shots like we've sort of seen that dating back to the Patrick Waz days glove 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 blocker 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 is that 
typically a part of most guys routine and and how do you is it is it important to have the right shooter too well i am the shooter in this situation they always want me to do it so um i'm gonna have arms like pete, pete sampras by the time uh, this coaching <laughs> career is over but you know they get comfortable with you because you got the timing right and the accuracy and you know you're not ripping it to score so they get comfortable with me in there doing it so i've done it you know for pretty much all my goalies there's a couple goalies that like having a player do it in the, in the past couple of years but both smitty and ritter always want me to do the shooting so i think it's a goalie thing i, I was gonna say it's a goalie coach thing too um stefan wait had shoulder surgery from all the shooting and i remember that was one of the hardest things for him while he was recovering was finding the right shooters to make sure they were putting you know not going bark down on guys in warm-up um are, are goalie coaches maybe the best shooters on the team sometimes like you guys have <laughs> to be able to shoot how'd you well, you weren't a player how'd you develop that i'm never going to be a dustin schwartz if you've ever seen that guy's hands and shot he shoots better than some of our players but uh you know, like when I first started out, it was, it was pretty intimidating because you weren't very accurate. You couldn't shoot very hard, but, you know, I guess just like a player growing up, you learn and uh, you learn the timing and, and the accuracy. And I remember a couple of years ago when Brian Elliott was here, he wanted a player to do it. And no joke, like first player I had, one of the shots hits him in the head. So I tried someone the next day again, shot to the head. So finally he's like, yeah, you're doing it. So about 10 games in, I was doing it the rest of the year and, you know, never changed after that. And now with David Rich, you're actually trying to hit him in the head. You mentioned this already, <laughs> but I think for those of the uninitiated, uninitiated who don't know that story, walk us through that, how it came to that. And the first time he showed up here and you realized you had to plunk him in the head twice. Yeah, when he started out in Stockton uh, and he got called up, I called Colin Zulianello, our development coach, and just said, what's his routine? Just trying to get on the same page. He said, he gave me all the things he likes to do. And he's like, oh, one more thing. He's like... At the end of practice, he's going to want you to take two shots to the head. And I was kind of like, what? So he's like, oh, just just do it. So he goes over the sideboards after morning skate and, you know, crouches down and you take as many pucks as you want, but he's not getting off the ice to get two in the head. And he jokes now that I've been working on it because it usually only takes me two times to get him now, the odd time three, but uh, he gets mad if I don't get two in a row on him. So, so A, I guess you're trusting the mask at this point. And you're not you're you're not going Dustin Schwartz on this thing. You're not going bar down as hard as you can go. Like, how do you find that balance? Because that's not easy. No, he's your starting goalie. You know, Hit me in the I, head. I twice? think he likes it the harder it is too. Okay. So, but a little, little bit of pressure on you there to get him two in the row in the head. But if I miss him, he'll say nope, nope. And then every time I get him, yep, yep. So you know when you got him in the head or not. Usually you can hear it. Now we've seen the idea of the quote-unquote I don't actually I hate to use the word but the, the, the old stereotype of the crazy goalie has kind of disappeared David Rich fit that mold a little bit he's still I mean when I hear that story I'm like okay that's old school goalie yeah he, he's definitely, he got a little he's definitely out there a little bit but it's more just the character of who he is you know he's a very loose guy and loves his teammates loves to joke around with them and chirp and um but it's just one of those things that's part of his routine and he's got little superstitions he, he's a guy that if you didn't get the two shots in the head i don't think it's going to affect him but he just when things are going good you know he wants the same thing so how do you and and that's another balance point for guys we actually had a, had an article recently that i wrote for unmasked talking to guys who have tried to get away from routines pregame routines that were exhausting them Mm -hmm. And we see kids nowadays, I mean, we contribute to it, I guess, at Ingle. We always show the latest ideas, right? Joggling balls off walls, dynamic stretches for the body, visualization for the mind. At what point, like, is that is that the key for you when you're assessing that as a, as a goalie coach? Is he, is he in control of the routine or is it superstition? Like, where do you, when you watch those things, do you try and help them find that line? Yeah, you definitely have to be in control of your routine, but it also has to be a routine you can do no matter where you are, no matter what rink you're in, um, and something that's not going to affect you, you know, if it's an off day and you don't have a morning skate, so... Um, it's definitely something that makes a big difference. Uh, you have to be able to do it everywhere, and it can't be exhausting. And if, if it's something you can't do, you can't let it affect you in the game. Now, you still do some camps in the summer as well. What's the difference or similarities between working with a pro and working with kids? Like, and which one like, at times do you enjoy more? Because I'm guessing at the pro level, there's probably an element in season of, like, I think a lot of people think, oh, these guys are rebuilding their games. But it really... A lot of times, with the, especially with the little practice that you guys have, it's more about maintenance, no? Yeah, especially in the West. You know, there, people don't know if you play in the East to the West. Like it, it's, it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of off days. You have your four mandatory off days. 
Now you got these mandated breaks and all-star breaks, so there's little practice time. And if you have a guy that's playing majority of the games, you know sometimes it's more rest than uh, work. And um, you know doing camps, it's really enjoyable to work with the younger kids. You, you see a lot of progress, you know, day in and day out. And it's really rewarding. And again, at this level, it's more fine-tuning, little adjustments, maintenance. If you're trying to make big, huge adjustments in season, especially with a starter or even a one-two combo, and it could affect them in a negative way, and then that's coming back on you. Um, you get them overthinking too much mid-season, you know, you're in trouble. So it's fine-tuning and it's bouncing stuff off each other and working together and going over video to make those changes, and usually they're just small changes. What about with the kids? Like, what do you, what do you see in the next generation? We keep hearing about how goaltending's never been better. And it always seems like the next generation. I remember when I first started this in like 03, uh, sort of covering it at this level, you'd have NHL guys that you know still didn't know proper leg recovery. And you go and you see 12-year-olds that knew how to do it better. And the, guy, the NHL guys would like, they were joking, but serious. <laughs> like, hey, the 12-year-olds are doing it better than me now. What do you see in, in, in the future? And not just positives, but maybe are there some negatives out there in terms of like, do you see overcoaching or like what advice would you give to a parent about how to sort of set their kid up for success? I still think you see kids, you know, starting too young. Um, you see kids that are out there at some of these camps that can't even skate yet and they've got the full equipment on and they're just frustrated out there. So I still think it's important to you know, be a forward for a couple of years or get some good skating lessons before you even, you know, put on the goalie gears. They start too young, they get frustrated, they don't like it, and um, it's not easy for the kid, And but sometimes it's the parents pushing and they think, this, I can put as much money as I want into my kid, he's going to be an NHL goalie, but it doesn't work that way. The kid's got to want it, he's got to have some drive. Like, you see parents pushing their kids a little bit too hard and think, as long as I put in the money, you know, it's, he'll be successful or she'll be successful. So. Um, I think it's being patient with them and letting them decide on the position when they're ready. But the skating is such a huge aspect of the game, especially in that position. So I think it's it's not rushing them to put the gear on. Is there a way, like b beyond just playing forward for the skating, is there like is there a way to sort of or a drill you like for kids, one or two, to sort of emphasize that, like to sort of even if they are in the full of goalie gear and maybe even is a little premature, how do you how do you get them to be good skaters? I think edges are so important nowadays in the game. I mean, you watch even even Riddick with us, and you watch Vasilevsky, guys like that, how well they can move and how good they are on their edges. You go to a lot of goalie camps, and right away they're just getting into shots. And um, I think the skating and edge control is so important, and it's been a huge focus of a lot of goalie coaches now. It's if you can move on your edges, you know, you can keep up with the play. It's a fast game now, and. Uh, especially, you know, not just on your feet, but down in your recovery, and so you're not lunging, reaching for pucks. So um, I think, you know, the goalies hate it at a young age, skating, but, you know, when we do our camps in the summer, we have an hour that's all skating before we even get into pucks in the second hour. And as so much as it's hard to go through, I think it's beneficial and it makes you a better goalie down the road. We talked about game day routine. Obviously, we're here on a game day with Jordan Sigalette, goalie coach for the Calgary Flames. You're about to head onto the ice with with David Rich and, and Mike Smith. We, we talked about warming up the hands and sort of static shooting. Um, what kind of things do you do to sort of get those edges engaged on a game day for your goaltenders for both of them? Usually both guys, they have their own little routine when they get on the ice for their edges. They'll do some stuff in the neutral zone and across the lines, just you know, feeling their inside and outside edges, a little bit of movement while they're down. Um, on the road's always harder because the, the home team's on the ice first. Um, our coach is good. They've always been good in the past of, you know, just take five, ten minutes you need. Let me know when you're ready. We'll get we'll get practice going. So um, they'll usually warm up their edges on their own, then get their hands going from me, just get a feel tracking the puck, and then we'll get into morning skate. And when it's over, it's two shots to the head for David, and then uh, and Smitty will stay on for a little bit, do some stuff with the extra guys, and then a couple drills with myself just to, you know, keep them sharp. So when we talk about that edge work, we're talking like crease movement patterns type of thing, or we see goalies often just sort of at the side boards just sort of back and forth and moving on their skates moving on their feet moving on their knees as well is that that pretty much what you mean by that yeah yeah you know just different transition stuff you know whether it's counter transitions um going back against the grain just stuff they'll see in the game where they can stay in control and compact and just good on their edges now i think a lot of people know your story and know how you arrived to here as a goalie coach but not everybody does. So let's walk back. Let's let's rewind it a little bit. 
first of all, like this is home for you, or at least the, the, the suburbs of Vancouver. When did you start playing goal? Like what, what drew you to the position? Because I know you had brothers that played, but, but not in goal. Yeah, no, my older brother started playing hockey. He's a chiropractor now here in the lower mainland. And um, uh, I wanted to follow his footsteps. So I wanted to be a hockey player. I didn't know at that point I wanted to be goalie. But when you're young and rotating through the position and you first put on that gear, I was like most kids, you fall in love with the mask and the gear, even though it was the brown deer hair DNRs back then. Uh, I still thought it was pretty cool. So um, you'd play road hockey every day. You'd play, you know, ball hockey with your hands. I don't think we had mini sticks back then. You were playing with your hands. So um, it's funny you tell your kids now that that's how you played, and they just look at you with like you have three heads. But uh, <laughs> you used what you could back then. And, um, you know, when I first put on the gear, I loved it. And I wasn't great when I started out. I started playing goalie in Adam and um, played Adam B my first year. And second year, I played Adam A. And it was kind of always that way. I'd play... Peewee B, then Peewee A, Bantam B, Bantam A, like always had to work for it and, and try and move up. And then after Bantam, there was no major midget back when I played. So after Bantam, I went to Junior B and played two years Junior B in the lower mainland, finishing up with the, with the Delta Icehawks and Delta. And, uh, and then I signed with the Victoria Celsa um, back in, uh, in the BCHL. So that was pretty special for me at that point. My goal was, you know, if I can just get a scholarship and have my school paid for, that would be awesome. Save my parents a bunch of money, get an education to fall back on, at the same time play hockey. And uh, my last year in the BCHL, we went on to win the BCHL title, and I was drafted by the Boston Bruins, which was, you know, dream come true. It's your dream as a little kid to make it to the NHL. But so by being drafted, you know, just gave you another goal to reach for. And when I was done playing at Bowling Green, um, went on to sign with Boston and played three years in their organization, uh, then went over and played half a season in the second league in Russia, which was a, quite the experience, and then uh, left halfway through the year there to play in Vienna in the Austrian league. And um, it was hard after that. I was thinking about going back to Europe and then had a coaching oppor opportunity come up with the Everett Silver Tips in the WHL. So after some you know long talks and that I thought it'd be a great opportunity and and took that opportunity and led me into my coaching career now the, the one thing I didn't didn't ask you about in terms of working with David and working with Mike but also I think this goes back to the days when I first met you working with the Abbotsford Heat different goalies different style of goalies I mean you've got two very unique guys here in Smith and Riddich you had Three very unique guys <laughs> when I first met you back in Abbotsford, including one Barry Bruss, mm -hmm. Danny Taylor, Leylander Irving, like three guys who played the game completely differently. How do you manage that as a goalie coach when the styles are so dissimilar? Yeah, I don't think you could have three different ones there in Abbotsford. Uh, Barry, anyone that's seen Barry plays know how erratic he is, but how smart he is. And, you know, he's still making a, a great career for himself over in the KHL just because of his ability to read plays and battle and compete and uh, three different guys. But you just have to work to each one's strengths. Uh, I'm not a believer that you should make every guy play the same way. you got to work to their strengths. And um, but that, that's hard to do, especially when you have three. But, uh, you know, you find ways to do it and keep each guy sharp playing the way that they like to play. Is that a matter of, like, is it, do you learn on your own how you think they like, or is it just communication? Like, do you build that, hey, this is what I like, this is how I approach this situation? And we heard from Billy last week, Billy Ranford, in our last one, where, where to him it wasn't about making a guy fit a certain way, it was about making sure he was consistent in his his way. Is that a is that a good way of summing yeah, it up? Yeah, no, that's a perfect way to sum it up. And, you know, usually when I get a new goalie, I'll, I'll give him a little map of the ice with, you know, like where he likes to be with depth in a certain situation, how he likes to play his post play, if the puck's below the goal line, above the goal line, from the dot down, and just kind of a road map of his positional play. So. You know, you both see it, and when you're watching the game and you see something different than what he wrote down and told you, you know, you can kind of, you can you can see where it varies and go to him and be like, usually you like to play here in this situation. You're deeper than you like to be. Or you usually use a reverse here when it's below the goal line. You're not. You're on your feet. So just a little roadmap for each guy just so you can keep them consistent in the way they like to play the game. Uh, you, you just touched on reverse. I wasn't going to get into specifics, <laughs> but it's such a hot topic. And it seems to be something that, you know, I think in our first episode, Luongo talked about it. Like, everybody likes to pick apart when it fails, but all the times it works for me where another situation might not. Like, what do you see, especially maybe from kids? I think at the NHL level, that's mostly true, but do, do you see kids falling in love with it too early? What's your key 
to post play. And I guess it varies like everything else from yeah, guy to guy. I think you could rip apart anything. Like you could rip apart a guy playing an overlap in certain situations where he gets beat to the far side of the net or beat on a wraparound. You could pick on a VH if it's still going over his shoulder or through his five hole. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect. It's just knowing when to use each situation and not abusing it, not getting into it too early. I think you see young kids get into a reverse way too early and but they're watching guys on TV do it. But I think it depends on your size and you know where the player is, what his shot hand is, and it's such a fast game. When you slow it down, everything looks easy. But um, you know sometimes you got to tip the cap to the player too. Those goalies are getting beat on pretty good shots where it's going to go in no matter what what save selection they're using on their posts. So um, anytime you slow anything down, you can make anything look bad in my mind. Well, yeah, no doubt, and it's real, the game looks real easy from up in the press box for those yeah, of us who are asked to slow it down. Um, how much of your time when you're doing a pre-scout is dedicated to how a guy handles post-play? I saw a chart recently um, where there was actually a higher shooting percentage from below the goal line than from the points in the NHL. I can't remember if it was last year or over the course of a couple of years, but there's a reason pucks go in from down there. No, for sure. And uh, even a couple of goals this year, we've had one from Crosby on his backhand, you know, pretty much from the goal line. Kane had one and David this year. And you know, they're, they're shots where you're impressed after, and the coach always says, like, what do you think of that goal? And I always kind of say, bad goal, good shot, or, you know, tip the cap. Like, it's it looks bad, but, you know, it's, you gotta, some, sometimes those players are making pretty good plays too. They study the goalies, and they know how much room's there, and it's usually not very much, but they're elite enough at this level that they can pick those spots. Okay, I wanted to go back to playing a little bit. Bowling Green, uh, first off, um, you played with a legend in his own mind, uh, we, Kane Van Gay. So I think he, <laughs> KVG takes a lot of crap as the, the legend of beer league hockey now over his actual true talent. But he was on that team, was he not? As, an, as, as, as one of the, uh, I don't know, do we want to out him as, a, as the third goalie? But he was there. Yeah, he was there. The legend. He was, is he the was legend a walk-on. When, when you said legend, I thought you were going to say Kevin Bieksa because that's another guy that thinks he's a legend too that <laughs> I played with. So, um, yeah, Kane Van Gate was there. And, uh, you know, he's a character guy and still is if you follow him on any of his social media. So, you know, he's, a, he's an awesome guy and wish I got to spend more time with him there. Um. Bowling Green was where a lot of things changed for you uh, with the, the diagnosis of multiple scler sclerosis. Easy for me to say. <laughs> Jeez, good job, Kev. Um, walk us through what that was like. like how, it's a part of your life now. You live with it. But it couldn't have been an easy part there. Like, How do you view it now looking back, that transition, everything you went through? And then as a pro, because I think you managed it, but there was probably if, – if, I think if we're honest, the teams were probably scared of it. You probably yeah. could have kept playing. Oh, for sure. You know, it was my junior year at Bowling Green. Uh, I was only 23 at the time and just finished playing two games on the weekend against Northern Michigan. And, you know, you normally play Friday, Saturday night in college. So played Friday, you're always tired. You go back, go to bed, played Saturday, and then went home, got some rest, went to bed, wake up the next morning, completely hardly any feeling from the waist down, mostly on one side of my body. And... I just thought I did something to my back in the game or my neck, you know, pinched a nerve or tweaked something, tweaked a disc. And so went to bed that night, started to walk to school the next morning on Monday and the numbness and feeling was going out of my neck and my face, like completely numb, like visit to the dentist gone wrong, it felt like. So um, I called my mom, like she used to be a nurse and she sounded worried, said go to the hospital. So went there, saw our team doctor who worked at the Wood County Hospital in Bowling Green and um, he seemed concerned too, so he just wanted to do some tests just to get to the bottom of it. And so we did some blood work and MRI. And uh, I remember waiting in the hospital room thinking he was just going to come in and say, you know, you're fine, it's a disc or it's a pinch nerve. And he came in and said, Jordan, things don't look good. And I, like, you know, I was speechless. He said, it looks like multiple sclerosis. And I had no idea what it was or the effects of it or what it was going to do to me. And most important thing to me at that time was obviously family and hockey career so the question is where am I going to be able to play with this and the disease is very different with everybody that they didn't know what it was going to do short term long term if I'd be able to play so um, a couple doctors said I probably wouldn't be able to play just because of the heat and fatigue and exertion through the game so um, hearing that I wouldn't be able to play I think was what inspired me and fired me up to prove people wrong and just prove to myself I could play with it and um, I missed a little bit of time, but came back and finished the season. Uh, went back and played my senior year. Had one of the best years I had in my college career, and 
even though <coughs> Boston was a little bit worried probably they ended up signing me despite the diagnosis to three separate one-year deals um, in my last year in Providence I actually had an incident on the ice where I collapsed and lost feeling in my legs and couldn't walk for about a month and I did end up coming back to finish that season in Providence after missing about a month or month and a half but after that there's definitely a red flag on me you know teams are a little bit worried um, about my health but was fortunate enough to continue in that second league in Russia and Vienna for that last year but after that year I just thought you know it's better for my health just to step away because the physical exertion and the mental and pressure and stress was hard on the disease and myself and my body so that's when I decided to step away and get into coaching which has been an awesome transition. Well I was going to say but like stress and <laughs> fatigue and the work I mean we, like I said we're here at eight o'clock in the morning on a game day you're probably not going to get home till 11 or, or at least and there's more work to do after that and it's pretty much non-stop throughout the day how have you managed it um through the stress level of being an NHL goalie coach because this ain't an easy job no it's it's honestly just as stressful as you play as when you played but you don't have the physical exertion in there you, you have some tough travel and late nights and early mornings and long flights and tough trips but you know it's it's an honor to be in the league as a goalie coach um, and you just appreciate every day like especially after being diagnosed you know after was to get on the ice and play and now it's to you know be part of an NHL organization in the Calgary Flames who've been awesome and given me a chance uh, first out first in the AHL and now in the NHL so um, I, I manage it no different than when I played, you know, not too high, not too low. Same thing you tell your goalies all the time, you know, after big wins, you know, don't get too high. It's a roller coaster of a year and uh, you just have to find that even line, that even keel and, and stick with it. And I think you have to be the same person no matter how good things are going or how bad things are going. As if goalies see you getting too high or too low after wins and losses, I think that can rub off on them sometimes too. You mentioned the, the senior year at Bowling Green, like you said, your best year, and that meant a lot to come back and do what you did. And, it, and I think it gained a lot of attention as well for, like, for yourself, and you've become an advocate and done you know, uh, evenings to raise funds for, for MS. Um, what did you, you mentioned Providence for those three years, but there, was, there is a Boston Bruins appearance on the <laughs> Hockey DB. I know it wasn't a start. I know it wasn't you know, maybe what you wanted as a career, but what did, what, like, looking back, what does that mean to you? that you got those 20 minutes. Yeah, it was, uh, I wouldn't say 20, it was about 46 seconds. So, okay, uh, my bad. I'll round it up to 20 minutes if we can, but um, no, it was, it was incredible. I remember skating in Providence my first year and practice had ended and Scott Gordon, who's now in Philadelphia, came up to me and he said, uh, Jordan, you had such a good practice today, you're getting called up to Boston. And I thought he was joking, um, but one of the goalies had tweaked something up there and Back then, you know, it was my first year as they were Tim Thomas. If the rules were different, it probably would have been Timmy Thomas going up at that point. But there was waiver rules back then where because of the amount of money Tom Thomas made, he would have had to clear waivers going up and they didn't want to lose them. So um, I didn't have that bite into my contract. So I was the guy to go up and, you know, it was, it was awesome. I remember one game backing up, uh, Lemieux was still playing. So it was Lemieux and Crosby on the other side. and. Another game I was backing up was against Tampa, and Sean Burke was the backup goalie, and he's skating around in warm-ups with no helmet on, no bucket, just skating around. And I start to stretch at center, and he stretches next to me and just starts talking to me, like, how you doing, kid? And I still have a picture of that and showed it to Berkey a couple of years ago when he was in Arizona. So it was a childhood dream come true. And then the one game I was backing up, it was that one against Tampa. Um, Raycroft got hurt with just under a minute to go and you're sitting on the bench freezing cold at that point not thinking you're going in so he skates hunched over the bench and the heart rate starts to go a little bit and next thing you know you're hopping over and it might have been under a minute but you played in an NHL game and uh, no one can take that away from you so it was a pretty cool experience uh, backed up 10 or 11 games overall and um, something no one can take away from me and not just to be out there but to be out there despite be having that MS diagnosis and being told you might not ever be able to play hockey again and now you're on an NHL ice sheet so um, pretty awesome experience and uh, something I'll always look back on. You're a guy that others have called um, I think a Josh Harding when he went through it um, you've been there as as sort of a voice for some of those guys that have gone through it since uh, like I said an, an advocate a fundraiser uh, walk us through the what you've got going each year with the charity fundraiser and how anybody else can get involved if they want to, you know, take part or help out. Yeah, you know, right away I wanted to turn something bad into something good. So it was how can I use my hockey 
or coaching to you know raise awareness for the disease so right away we started to do a, a fundraiser in the Vancouver area called Shutout MS and um, we try to do it every year it's tough to do fundraisers every year because you're asking the same people for donations and support every year so it turned into a second year thing and now a little bit you know every every few years now we did one with the flames a couple years ago too putting MS on ice um, with TJ Brody because his wife was recently diagnosed as well so you know there, one, once you're diagnosed there's so many connections of either someone that has someone they know that has MS or you know intertwined somehow so anytime we can do something we do and you know just try and raise as much money for the awareness and the research to hopefully f find a cure one day and um, the MS Society is always very supportive and a great way to you know make donations and for research and um, so any, anything anyone can do to help always makes a big difference in people's lives. I've been lucky enough to continue to play for a bit, coach for a bit. There's other people that aren't that lucky that need a lot more support. So, Perfect. Siggy, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Woodley, do you guys, do you guys hypnotize these uh, goalie coaches when you sit down with them? You get them talking and, and they, they, they're so natural and they, they almost tell you everything. You gotta teach me your ways. No, they don't tell us everything. That that happens after I turn the tape recorder off. The secret, the secret, the secret <laughs> sauce happens after I turn the tape recorder off. So, uh, but you know what I find that this is uh, when you're able to speak their language. Um, that's been a big thing for me. Back when I first started covering goalies, I was at ten years as just a regular writer uh, covering the NHL before Ian Clark kind of introduced me through Goalie News and his magazine, and I started to learn their language and learn what they were trying to do out there and then when you're able to speak their language there's more people now but back then especially like nobody did that nobody talked to them in goalie speak and it really it opened up new worlds for me as a reporter and as a person just to be able to have different conversations about the the actual sort of nuances and some of the specifics of the game and I think for the goalie coaches a little bit of the same like I don't think a lot of people know just how much of a grind this job is um, they're not complaining. They're in the NHL. Um, but some of them have, you know, gotten a little worn by it. Like a lot of the, you know, Jordan's not one of them. He seems to, despite having a myriad of coaches, I think his personality allows him to just get along with everyone. But, you know, for some guys, this job has become too much of fight with their head coach about whose fault goals is like, there are organizations where that happens. I've heard of situations where the goalie coach was manhandled by the head coach, physically grabbed, um, the stress and the pressure and the hours not just getting their goalie ready and arguing over what's a bad goal and what's not, um, but the pre-scout on the other team, and Siggy talked about it there, um, the amount of hours you have to put in to make sure you're breaking down the other goalie and giving your team the best sort of ways to beat him, the best knowledge, man, it's, it's a ton of work, and there are long days. And again, they're in the NHL, so they don't want to complain. But for a job that's become disposable for a lot of organizations as well, uh, it's not always, uh, you know, um, it's not always the, it's not always fun. Put it that way. I was going to. And, and if you're one of the guys trying to work his way up and you're a development coach an American league coach, um, they're, they're going to leverage you in a lot of ways. So aside from all of those things that Kevin just mentioned for the NHL coaches, the, the younger guys also have scouting trips on the road quite frequently. Uh, they, they quite often double up as the video coach for the teams. So they're breaking down stuff far beyond the goaltenders. It's a, it's a tough road. I talked to one head coach uh, who said that uh, this is this is going back a couple of years, but he would always go to his goalie coach and say, "What happened?" And the goalie coach would say, "It was tipped," and the head coach would come back with, "Does every puck that's tipped have to go in the net, or can you stop one puck that's tipped?" Like it was, it was that kind of back and forth, and there was some some laughter. That was more more tug and cheek uh, about it. But uh, Woodley, uh, I was surprised when you talked to Jordan how much work he does does with without. The goalies that that's not directed towards his his two goal yeah i know i mean pre-scout of the other guy is a massive part of the job now and i think years like this one where you have a lot of new names in the league i think we're up to what like close to 90 uh goaltenders have played so far in the nhl it was 83 last i checked but it seems to me there's been a few new names but it'll probably end up around 90 usually does um it's the new guys uh especially when they're having success like carter hart like jordan bennington um like colin delia uh they create a lot of work for these guys because they don't have a ton of tape on them. So they got to go start from scratch to build these pre-scouts, at least with the guys they've seen year over year 
Um, there's a foundation of knowledge, but of course that changes, right? Like look at Jacob Markstrom. My, my breakdown, my pre-scout on Jacob Markstrom this year would be totally different than in years past in terms of how he plays, his stance, how it affects his mobility, and how you can attack that based on those observations. And um, not every NHL player wants that. You know, Siggy talked about the shootout. Um, just as some goalies don't want to know what might be coming, they want to just approach it organically and, and not have any preconceived notions that could cause them to cheat. Um, some shooters want all the information you can give them. Some just gloss it over. They're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, but as the goalie coach, you're responsible to sort of have it all ready. And like, I'm not going to, I, I got to be careful of naming names, um, but they're, the ability to break down a goaltender in a playoff series two years ago in the first round I know for a fact there were some some weird looking goals on the certain goaltender. And I happen to know for a fact that those were based on the pre-scout of this goaltending coach identifying a habit that left 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 exposure for these sort of odd looking goals to go in. And they scored four goals in the series, including a game winner and a game tying goal early by exploiting this tendency before the other goalie coach recognized what was going on and corrected the habit on his goaltender, you know, on the fly. So imagine the value of goals in a playoff series, especially tying and winning goals to a team. And now, you know, the value of a goalie who can really, or a goalie coach who can really break down the opposition and provide a pre-scout with value. Hutch, I, I just always hear that you just want to get the guy moving side to side. <laughs> that's, that's all I hear on, on how you want to get a guy to, to, uh, to, uh, Amateur high glove. Uh, so we and, have and shoot high goal, high glove, right? That's the scouting report. Scouting report right. on this guy is uh, yeah. wait till he goes down and shoot high glove. Far side pad, yeah. far side pad. So we have listener questions, and uh, this was a big hit when we introduced it uh, earlier in uh, episode four, and this has uh, blossomed into more and more feedback to uh, In Goal Radio and In Goal Mag. And one of the questions uh, comes uh, in the form of, uh, of an older uh, gentleman, a more experienced goaltender. And Hutch, why don't you take that away? Because you were able to lean on somebody with, uh, with some pretty good experience. Yeah, so Paul from Montreal is uh, only about a year younger than me, and he's uh, trying to build his game a little bit. And we know how tough that is as a beer leaguer because we're certainly not going to any practices. So uh, had a good question about... Uh, movement and how he can incorporate some more modern movements and it was actually a pretty amusing question i won't read the whole thing um but i i took it to um a professional coach andy kyoto is the goaltending development coach for the pittsburgh penguins and uh, he's been a longtime friend of in goal we get out on the ice every year together and uh i took it to him said uh what, what can a pro coach offer for a beer leaguer you can come up with a five-minute routine in that warm-up period just before the game that encompasses the two or three things you want to work on and nail it. So, for example, maybe it's a little bit of movement. You can work on some lateral movement. Maybe it's something on your post where you can work on your post technique or even get into your butterfly and do some recoveries on the ice. But build something that you can nail in three to five minutes and you can do as a warm-up. So that means two times a week before the game starts, you're getting 10 minutes total of work on two or three points that you want to work on. You can also do things at home if you don't mind being a little bit of a hockey geek. Yeah. You can kind of sit in your living room and sit in your butterfly and you can mimic making saves. You can actually put your stick in your hand and your butterfly and practice tracking, for example. You can practice leaning forward into a puck with your glove, getting that glove in front of you. Picture yourself making that save, head over the puck. Same thing with the blocker. Absorb a couple in your body. And watch hockey. Watch a ton of hockey. Watch video. I think that's. Uh... I, I I would even add uh, the puck's not at the other end and nothing's going on. You've got time to burn while they're making a face off. But yeah, uh, I mean, let's not? face it, we're us beer leaguers. We're in it for the long haul. This year means nothing. Five years means nothing. <laughs> I was the world's worst puck handler twenty years ago. Now I'm just bad. Uh, I decided I was going to handle every puck I could possibly handle because <laughs> uh, I 
20 years from now, I'd be a pretty decent puck handler. I and now it. I, now I kind of do. So it's, you're also playing the long game. That's Paul. a good point. I mean, Hey, it's not the end of the world. If you win or lose, if you take a couple of seconds and you do some movement while the place at the other end, you might look, guys might say, what is he doing? But it's, there's nobody. Why the not? There's nobody. It's great. The and like you said, I love it. A couple times a week, five minutes, that equals 10 minutes. Play that out over five years. And you've got a lot of practice in. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, Andy, for answering the question. Hachi, you bet. There's some cool advice there. There's some cool things from from Andy, and you're right. He is uh, he he is he is a great guy. I remember watching him at St. Mike's uh, when he was playing major junior. But Hutch, if here's my thing in in beer league, I'm afraid to, of trying to of looking like that cool guy when the puck's at the other end and I'm doing all these cool things these different things warming up like i don't, I don't want to be that guy so yeah but but if anybody's in the stands watching a bunch of beer leaguers they're probably laughing at us so you might yeah. as well just have a little fun with it and uh don't try and be cool just realize you look like a goof and go with it or would you do that uh <laughs> woodley not look like a goof but would you would you do some different <laughs> things while while the pucks at the other end or what's what's your little routine I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the puck's never at the other end behind my beer league team. I, th- I, I think over the past uh, month, we, we did the math and we've been outshot something like 225 to 90. Okay, so. Who keeps shots in beer league? Hey, Nobody. yeah. Kevin's uh, counting in his head. No, he's not counting in his head. The league, this he, is the the league Kev- he the league he plays in counts shots. We keep this stats. This is the episode where Kevin fault. makes friends. And listen, I have to, I, I, it's not my fault if I happen to see the shot chart at the end of the night and it says 40 every night. Listen, but I will say that, um, for me, good movement, uh, starts with good rotation into those pushes and making sure I sort of start from the top down and some of the new things I've learned. And I found them really hard to groove versus leading with my legs and opening up into my pushes, which I know sort of will strand me and not create the type of rotation I want. So how do I groove that in a game? As Andy suggested, I do it beforehand. Like, you know, you see the goalies go out there and do, and, and, and Siggy talked about this too, crease movement patterns, just skating around a little bit. Like, what's the point of standing in beer league in your crease and having your teammates plunky in the head for five minutes? Because be, let's be honest, and, and, and the guy I'm talking about knows who it is. So, like, why am I going to sit in the net and let these guys just shoot at my head or try and go bar down? Um, I'll take five minutes, I'll go to the boards and I'll work on movements because I find that establishing that sort of movement pattern, that what I think is the ideal movement pattern in terms of the way I trigger my movements and make those slides. If I do that for a couple of minutes before the game starts versus just taking a bunch of static shots, I think that's probably going to help me continue to do that when the game starts. The reality is it doesn't. I just flop and flail, fall on my belly and kick okay. my feet. But so you would you would you rather try. not take any shots and just do movements and and get into a rhythm and and get your body warmed up that way? I gotta be honest, I, mean, I, I want both. But if I had to pick between yeah. the two, I'd be tempted to pick the movement. Okay, for sure. The, you're not getting a whole lot of movement standing in most beer league warm ups. Yeah, and uh, no. we're the guys who need that body warm more than anybody else. I think there's really good advice in in what he said, frankly, for kids as well. Uh, have a routine that you that you execute before a game. Um, parents can talk about this. Coaches can talk about this. Because two minutes of work before a game added up over the season, added up over a couple of years, that's a whole lot of work you're getting in, and you can make a difference. The weird part is nobody wants to breakaways or two-on-ones or anything in the, in the warm-up in ours, and then the first thing you usually get in men's league is a breakaway or a two-on-o. And then all you've done is take static shots. Uh, Mark Fitzpatrick never used to take shots in warm-up. And what would happen was he would let the first shot in, and his coach would say, can you not just take one shot in warm-up, get that out of the way, and and go down that path? You know, Hutch, we're going to call this one the revenge episode because Kevin Woodley is on fire going after people, which concerned me because we had him go into a National Hockey League dress room to ask a, a listener a question. And this is a question from Alyssa in Mississauga who wanted to know, what should the goalie's checklist be? The final thoughts before a face-off in their own zone. And Kevin Woodley, Kevin, be nice, went into the San Jose Sharks dressing room, in goal radio, in the dressing room, talking to Aaron Dell. So I checked kind of, you know, as a centerman on his forehand towards the net, so if he can go forward, is he coming at me? 
is his hand over or under? Look like he's going to win it back or forward. Uh, I check what hand the wingers are because a lot of times they'll go to the wall and have a guy on his offside come around the top. And then uh, if there's a one-timer with the defenseman, kind of the few things that I... And then obviously, you know, if you're playing against top guys too, you, you know, you recognize that like last game for me, I always make sure McDavid is, is there or not too, just so I know where he's at. One of the advantages of listening to this podcast is that we will take you inside NHL dress rooms. Whitley, if you don't know the answer, and I can't believe that you wouldn't know something, you will find out and you will find somebody who does know the answer, right? Yeah, whether it's a goalie coach for the first question or an NHL goalie, if you've got questions, make sure you send them to us. Hutch, what's that email address again? Uh, podcast at ingolmag.com. Yeah, send us the questions. You never know who's going to answer them. I will take it in the room. And you're right. There are going to be times where we think we know the answer. But come on. Like, if we have the ability to take your question into the room and get the answer straight from a guy who plays in the show, we're going to do that. Um, it's a lot they, more they, fun, isn't it? They, yeah, it is. And they tend to, frankly, have better answers than me. I want you to start going around the room and asking non-goalies questions about goaltending and see what kind of answers you get. You know, it's, fu- it's funny because sometimes, you know, those are the best answers. Uh, you learn a little bit about the perceptions. Mm-hmm. But also, also if a guy's willing, like a guy like James Neal, I love talking to James Neal um, about goaltenders, about what he reads off of them, about how they try and score on them. You can actually have some, you know what? We might just have to do a collaboration. I'll just like pick a couple questions, go around all the locker rooms over the course of a couple months. And then we'll just run the answers. Hey, all you goalies who think you know what shooters are looking for, here's what they're actually looking for. And, and what's that email address again, Hutch? Uh, that email address is podcast at ingolmag.com. We need like a, we need a, we need Surrey reading that. We need like the exactly. professional Surrey voice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's funny, but uh, throwing a hutch for the email address is. is I great. feel like the produ- I feel like the producer in the radio booth who gets to come in for one <laughs> sentence every now and then. Well, listen, it's, uh, as grumpy as I am this morning without coffee, and as much as I've just like gone scorched earth on a lot of people this morning, including my beer league team, um, I also was not bright enough without said coffee to remember the email address. So that's the truth. <laughs> who, who's the guy that hits you in the head and warm up? Uh, he hasn't done it this year, so he's going to be really choked that, um, that, uh, that I mentioned this, but his name is Trevor Pomeroy. He's a transit cop. And all I know is thank God I don't take transit because he would like just bust me for fun. (laughs) He got me on the, on our first playoff game two years ago, like ringer head was ringing through the whole first period of an elimination game because he got me in warm-ups and i have a personal (laughs) policy if you come even close to buzzing the tower the warm-up's over and i'm on the bench until the whistle blows you know what and this is this is a topic we're gonna have to get into another day boys because i've had some really great conversations around the nhl um you know and concussions are a serious issue um and a lot of them are self-inflicted by teammates but i've had a lot of conversations with you know Braden holtby how did he get you know, Alex Ovechkin to still shoot hard, but stop almost killing him. Um, this is a legit problem. Guys are getting huh. smoked like three, four times in the NHL. Guess what? Ed Belfour and Ron Hextall didn't have that issue. Nobody shot. No. Near, near and that's, heads. and, and hope he went a little, and, and this is part of the thing yeah. is like, like if they're not going to respect, you got to earn that respect and hope he, hope he went out and earned it. Let's just put it that way. Quick comment talking about scorched earth. So we'll go into uh, being really hot right now. Uh, Carter Hart, has turned around Philadelphia season. And then you have uh, a couple of guys that have really come out of nowhere. Uh, Louis Domingue's had his challenges, and he's set a franchise record with the Tampa Bay Lightning for consecutive wins by a goaltender. And Jordan Bennington with the St. Louis Blues has been promoted to the National Hockey League. So just sticking with it. And uh, a quick comment, guys. So start with you, Hutch, just on on, on adversity. Isn't it fun that it's... Uh, we're seeing some new blood in the game succeeding, but in three very different ways. Uh, you know, Carter Hart has has taken the fast track route in Philadelphia. Uh, we've got Jordan Bennington, who's been working away for years um, in, in the minors to earn this shot and now making every every bit of it. And then, Kevin, you've got a good story on Louis Domingue as well and, and how his route's been a little bit circuitous as well. Oh, oh I mean, it's been well told that, uh, you know, I mean, Arizona basically told him to go away after that that rough start to the season um, a couple of years ago. 
Uh, at one point, he was renting his own ice to try and stay sharp before they facilitated the deal to the Lightning. And yeah, no, now is is he he's the backup to one of the best in the league uh, in Andre Vasilevsky, but that means you don't play very often. And so for him to have a 10-game uh, winning streak, despite going long gaps between starts and setting a franchise record, passing Vasilevsky with a 10 straight wins, like good on him um, for embracing it the right way and finding a way to sort of get through it and get better. And, uh, you know, Carter Hart, I've had a lot of questions about him. Uh, I do some weekly radio hits and, and uh, some work in other markets, and he's been a hot topic. Um, I just think, you know, the success he's having, he would have told you he was ready for. He did tell me he was ready for, you know, late last season when he was still in the WHL. Um, <laughs> there's a foundation in his game technically and mentally that just, you know, it screams pro. And he's been preparing for this for a long time. He's worked with John Stevenson, uh, who is most famous probably for being Braden Holtby's uh, sports psychologist or mental performance coach. He's worked with him since he was 12 or 13. Like, he is ready for this. The physical maturity is probably better than a lot of people think in terms of the work he's put in off the ice. Um, the work he's put in technically, like, he very much believes in the way he plays and that it can, can see, succeed at this level. A guy like Bennington, I don't know what's clicked for him. Uh, I know he's worked with Andy Kyoto in the summers. He's worked with Dave Rogulski, who was hired as the St. Louis Blues uh, American Hockey League goaltending coach. We see kids, sometimes I think the late bloomer or goalies take longer thing. Sometimes it's just that different goalies find different voices or different techniques at different stages of their career that makes things click, that pulls it all together, that gives them that foundation. Carter Hart's got that foundation at 20. I don't expect it to change. Well, there's the other thing, too, that uh, uh, there's a strong belief that guys that spend a lot of time in the American Hockey League and get called up where it's just easier in the National Hockey League because there's more structure, and that's where they have their success. I don't know whether there's anything to that. We can explore it in a, in a future episode. But in, well, in, let, me just, let me just say that a lot of goalies have talked about the NHL being an easier game because it's easier reads. And the way Carter moves, the efficiency with which he moves, I think it is easier for him in the NHL versus the AHL, which it's not the rodeo it used to be in the AHL in terms of hooking and holding, but there's a lot more mistakes. There's a lot more broken plays. And as a goaltender, when you can count on guys being where they're supposed to be and doing what they're supposed to do, that makes our lives a lot easier. And the Louis Domingue thing in Arizona, I mean, I haven't talked to him about it, but but it was a real struggle there. I, I don't fault Arizona for what, what happened there. Like, they, they had to part ways. Now, good on them for turning it around and, and getting things going in the right direction. See, that was me being politically correct and giving Arizona credit without sewering Louis Domingue, which is, uh, which is something that I'm going to teach you, Woodley, about just, oh, do it. <laughs> just being a little more diplomatic. You, we, we're, if we're going to go full score, sure, should we talk about that? No, we better not. No, talk no, about no, no, we're not no. going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets I, today, are we? I'm just talking. I'm just saying we're going to we're going to work on our diplomacy. Uh, Hutch and I, that's uh, that's our plan for for Woodley. Uh, thanks for yeah, doing we, this. We, we don't want it to be in goal, not in the room, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> in goal, waiting hey, outside gate four. I only rip the guys that haven't been in the room in a long time. <laughs> oh. uh, thank you. Woodley, and thank you, Hutch. Uh, we will remind everybody, get your backup goalie towel. Wrap it around your neck, stay warm, be ready, and make sure you step up when you have your chance to shine. This has been a presentation of In Goal Magazine and In Goal Radio, the podcast.